Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome everybody. You have tuned in to the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And not only that... You have tuned in to the 268th episode of said podcast. So if you pay attention to the way we do things around here, you'll have noticed that normally this would be a deep dive episode, but we're lacking in deep dive content. So we're not doing a deep dive episode. We're doing short format again, and then we'll uh, get around to the weekender next time around, and then we'll have a deep dive after that because hopefully by then we'll have actually come up with a topic. And to that extent, we have a lead topic. But before we get into that lead topic, let's talk about us, because that's our favorite topic. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. So, back to the topic I was talking about, the one that's not us. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are looking for deep dive topics. We've had over the, you know past couple of years people throw topics our way and say hey i haven't experienced an episode of an amateur radio or an open source podcast that has touched on this particular topic could you do this topic for us now in the past we have generally already got to that topic i've usually been able to reference a podcast that we've already done and say hey if you want to learn about this topic in depth we did it in episode blah 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 check it out and and so on and so forth But it turns out that finding a deep dive episode every three episodes is getting rather difficult. So (laughs) (laughs) what we would like from our listeners, if we could possibly drag it out of you, is some suggestions for things you would like to hear deep dive topics on. And I would say at this point that pretty much anything is fair game. Um, A particular software application, a particular Linux distribution, an amateur radio topic that no one talks about. And anything was really, you know, game. So if you have something that you would like to know more about, then we would like to hear about that. And if nothing else, that will kind of grease the wheels for us. And we'll be able to come up with some topics on our own based on folks' suggestions so that we'll have some content going forward. And I'm sure, you know, if we put our brains together, we'll come up with some things to talk about, even if we don't get any suggestions. But we'd really love to hear from you because if nothing else, if we get suggestions from our listeners, then we know. The topics are going to be, you know, at least relevant to somebody because they've suggested the topics. So I would, I would really like to uh, get people to comment on the website and let us know what you want to hear about. Uh, we'll do our best to come up with topics on our own, uh, try and provide you with interviews on interesting technologies and, and topics as they come up for us. Um, I've been in touch with some people who have some great projects out there but they're not currently available for interviews. So we're kind of in a dry well right now. So send us your suggestions. We would really appreciate it. 
And in the meantime, we'll continue forth with our short topic episodes and our weekenders. And hopefully we'll get back into deep dive content really soon because I know that tends to be at the top of our popularity, you know, for content. Um, and we really like doing them too. So with that being said, let's get into some amateur radio topics. And since Bill has been diligently putting stuff in the etherpad, we'll let him cover the first thing since I've been talking too long anyway. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, here we go. We got the ARRL Board of Directors issues a cement on the Amateur Radio Parity Act. The board wants to make clear to its members and to those whose policies and conduct prevent or impair the right of the U.S. amateur radio operators to operate from their homes that this pause is not and should not be interpreted as an abandonment of its efforts to obtain a relief from private land use restrictions. The board noted that its intent to renew, continue, and strengthen the AWRL's effort to achieve relief from such restrictions, and this action represents a chance to get the best po- product possible for all U.S. amateur radio operators. And basically, they are pulling back on the a- Amateur Radio Parity Act and going to relook at it. Um, this might also be a signal that they've... Uh, you know, run out of money <laughs> for uh, actually lobbying for this. And they're running out of, you know, senators to sponsor this or congressmen to sponsor this. Um, and you could, you could assume a bunch of things from it. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, keep an eye on this one. Let's see if this one uh, raises its head back up again, this uh, legislative session. Um, but I guess they're all busy trying to put a fence up or something like that. So uh, we'll, we'll see if that happens. Well. I haven't been following this for the last two or three months, I guess, probably since the last time we mentioned it. But didn't the last time we talk about this, weren't we talking about the fact that it was kind of moving forward and getting close to passage and all of that? Wasn't everything really positive at that point? Yeah, well, you're inside of the two-year window of, uh, you know, rotating people in and out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had a big, a big change over here, just like we always do after, after an election, uh, a presidential election, always this two years afterwards, we get a, a pretty big change in the, the Congress and the Senate. And, uh, that's what we saw. And so, uh, yeah, I'm sure some of the, some of the partners and stuff like that, uh, the sponsors are gone or are not really interested in it right now. So, uh, I mean, this, this happens. You gotta, you gotta get it fitted into these windows. And when those windows of opportunity go away, it becomes harder to get those bills back on the floor, uh, you know, or siloed into some other project like an omnibus package or something like that. Um, so yeah, so I, I think they're probably at the, you know, probably wait out this two year session and probably start again in two more years. It probably doesn't help that the government in general isn't in kind of a state of flux and, and all the things that are going on there. So yeah, I can kind of understand. And it, well, it's always a state of flux. And, you know, the AWRL just went through a big, you know, leadership change too. So, right. you know, we got both of those things going on at the same time. So this is a good opportunity for them to, uh, you know, basically pump the brakes a little bit and, and circle back around and, and decide on where the value is best spent on uh, protecting the spectrum. And I certainly do hope they do that because I think the Amateur Radio Parity Act is a good thing. We're not personally dealing with housing covenants and HOA restrictions here, and I don't think you are as well. But for those people who are, it can be a severe encumbrance for, for doing amateur radio work. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it could be a good thing. I mean, some people are are using it and are thinking about it for taking advantage of certain things like, you know, 
I would never put up like a 200 foot tower in my backyard (laughs) because it would look like ass. (laughs) I don't care how good a signal I can put out from my house. It looks like ass in the neighborhood. It looks stupid. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I understand people need to put up like, you know, a simple antenna in their yard, you know, a garden antenna or something like that. And they can't even do that because the restrictions are, you know, you can't have anything over top of the, you know, the fence height or something like that. We were watching. Yeah, put a sh- yeah, we were watching a newscast where they were digging up in a story from 2009 where communications went out because of an ice storm in Arkansas. This was like yesterday, and they were talking about how you know they couldn't get emergency responders to where they needed to go because all the towers were down and the lines were down and blah 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 blah. Well, sometimes maybe it's okay to put up a hundred foot ugly antenna when you know. It's really necessary. You were in Arkansas when that happened because you sent me pictures. Oh, no, I, I sent you pictures of all the busted telephone poles and yeah. everything else that was going on. But the point being, you know, sometimes people have to get over themselves and sometimes the world's not necessarily a beautiful place. You know? Well, the thing is, That's yeah, true. like in Columbia, Missouri, they have like turned their cell phone towers into what looks like trees. And if you want to go through the really expense cool. and everything to do that, that's a wonderful thing. Right. But it shouldn't be preventing someone who can provide emergency services just because the antenna happens to be made of gray aluminum and, you know, doesn't necessarily look like a nice, you know, bushy oak tree, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Well, I know. When- yeah, I think in general, it's a positive yeah. thing. So, I mean, I don't I mean, think anyone's you know, really going to take people. too yeah. much of an advantage of this just to put up a giant 200-foot antenna, like you said. I don't, I don't think that's where this is going to go. And you can always make yeah. That. Nate Nate says antennas are not ugly, so <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think antennas <laughs> are ugly. Beautiful pieces of art. They, they kind of are, unless you've just gone like way over the top. But <laughs> all right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Cheryl, you want to handle this next one? This seems like a pretty easy one. Uh, hang on. Oh, oh. Look who's not following along. I was, with the I, was, I was eating. Jeez. <laughs> I'm eating too, and I'm still following along with the show. Whatever. So. <laughs> Don't give me whatever. Mommy, <laughs> I'm mommy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so our next story is AX prefix in Australia's National Day, ANZAC Day, and International Calm Day. Under a permanent agreement with the Australian Communications and Media Authority, also known as the ACMA, all excuse me, all Australian radio amateurs may use the alternative AX call sign prefix. Instead of VK on Australia Day, which is Saturday, January 26th. Hopefully you all worked them this past weekend. The alternative AX prefix agreement between the ACMA and the WIA means that all radio amateurs may use it without seeking allocation of a special event call sign. This prefix is also on Anzac Day, April 25th, and International Telecommunications Day on May 17th. Well, I am glad that someone bothered to make this topic actually relevant and not, not only <laughs> reference the thing that had already gone by last weekend but <laughs> yeah yeah like oh you know <clears throat> i was trying to find a different source for news and that was uh you know the wia was on my list <laughs> and then i was like i got the story in there and i'm like oh crap that was just saturday <laughs> like yeah two days ago uh but then i saw oh yeah they're also having it for uh you know australia new zealand days and uh and uh, International Telecommunications Day. So I was like, there, it's relevant. We'll keep it. <laughs> I could have, I could have like got rid of all the other stuff in front. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And but, not to be confused with American call signs, where does, where do the AA, 
the double A whatever end in America? Is it A A S or is it before that? Um, yeah, I think it's before that because oh, I don't think I think we only go up to like A A L A H maybe A J. Yeah, maybe Alpha. Yeah, A J to definitely is a Alpha Foxtrot too. I've heard yeah, those. I think That's I think I've heard of Alpha, Alpha Lima. Um, and Alpha Hotel is probably a Hawaiian call sign. A H six. Yeah, AL and AH are Hawaii and, uh, and uh, Alaska. And then uh, Alpha Golf, I think, would be reserved for like, uh, you know, like uh, Guam and stuff, even though that's like KG4 or KP4 or something like that. Right. Um, so I don't have to look at all that. But yeah, I didn't either. But it's, it's, at some point, <laughs> the American call signs that start with A something actually end and then they go around the world uh, for the rest of them. So. Uh, yeah. So when you hear an AX call, don't think it's, you know, American call sign because it's not. It's an Australian call sign. All right. So moving on, uh, this is one you just threw in here. So I'm going to read it and hopefully I'll read it, you know, at least semi decently. Uh, the AWRL is launching a new podcast geared toward new amateur radios. This is probably a good thing. We'll see. Uh, for those just getting started on their amateur radio journey, the AWRL is launching a new podcast aimed at answering your questions, providing support and encouraging encouragement for newcomers to get the most out of the hobby. The podcast, quote, so now what, end quote, will launch on Thursday, March 7th, and new episodes will be posted every other Thursday, alternating new episode weeks with the AWRL The Doctor Is In podcast. Co-hosting So Now What will be AWRL Communications content producer Michelle Patnode, W3MVP, and AWRL station manager Joe Garcia, NJ1Q. Presented as a lively conversation with Pat Node representing newer hams and Garcia, Garcia, not Garcia, uh, the veteran operators, the <laughs> podcast will explore questions that newer hams may have and the issues that keep participants from staying active in the hobby. Some episodes will feature guests to answer questions on specific topic areas. And as you might expect, that story came from the AWRL. So more, I know, more ham radio content. Uh, specifically geared for the new amateur or the new amateur radio operator, though that's kind of nice. I know there are are some other podcasts out there uh, dedicated to getting people licensed and also answering questions for new ham radio operators, but they're kind of few and far between. And more content is always a good thing. So hopefully, this will help some new folks on their journey into amateur radio. All right, with that, we're going to switch over from our amateur radio topics and talk about some things in the open source world. So Bill is going to answer, or maybe just talk about, an interesting question. Oh, yeah. So what if APIs do become intellectual property? Rough, rough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think you have your answer. User over... Yeah. <laughs> Apparently somebody agrees that there's a problem there. <laughs> yeah, user over on uh, Reddit, Headcase, <laughs> with a K-A-S-E, on Reddit, he questions uh, the Oracle versus Google uh, case that uh, is getting reintroduced to uh, the Supreme Court. Um, there's a technical term for that. I'll uh, I'll look that up later. <laughs> um, say Oracle wins, and therefore the APIs of any kind become intellectual property. In the context of like this was under gaming, uh, uh, wine wine gaming uh, uh, subreddit. In the context of wine gaming under Linux, that would seem to enable Microsoft, for example, to go to code weavers and such and say, if you want to use our DirectX or, and Windows APIs, then you have to pay such and such for a licensing fee. And, uh, that was a, it was a pretty good question. 
And uh, this is a, the, the court case that uh, is basically Android and using the, uh, the Java APIs that, you know, Sun Microsystems said they could use back whenever, but like there was never any uh, <laughs> official agreement. And then Oracle bought them. And then now they're trying to, uh, you know, actually squeeze some money out of this cow that they bought. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just like anything, Oracle takes it's always know, about the they, money they basically destroyed yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i tried to explain that to my wife and she didn't get it it's like oh they're just trying to make money i was like no no oracle is evil i mean they are like the definition of how to be the bad person or the bad actor in any uh in any contract negotiation <laughs> or anything else do you have a way to <laughs> like, you summarize know. uh oracle v google or no uh yeah, let's give, uh, I I was gonna put that in here because I knew you were gonna ask. Uh, <laughs> and of course you. So didn't, the last so. thing that's going. Yeah, I know. I was. I didn't want to really go deeply into that's what, it. That's why I said summarize. Um, <laughs> it's been going on for a while. So this court case has been going on for what? Uh, at least the uh, last couple of years. Yes. Yeah, the full case is uh, Oracle America versus uh, Google Inc. It was argued on December 7th in uh, Federal District uh, Court of Appeals. Uh, well, that's not the original case. The original case would be the uh, 2012 jury trial. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Java was originally developed by Sun Microsystems, and we all know that. And so there's APIs. Google built um, their uh, their technology kit. What do they call that? Um it's not Jandroid. It's uh, <laughs> it's whatever they call it. I forget. I'm going to let you flounder on this one for a little bit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I should have prepared. It's only because for, I don't uh, know myself. So I'm. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's about the use of the APIs. Even though they rewrote them, they rewrote like their their way to interact with the APIs, and I think that's like the 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 sort of the sticky point is that they basically wrote their own API to access an API. So they wrote an abstraction layer for the <laughs> APIs. So they would work better for what they wanted to do with Android. And since, uh, you know, Oracle wants to make some money out of all these Android devices that are out there currently using um, this, uh, they've been in court and they've gone through two federal appeals court from what it looks like. And now they're filed a second uh, Supreme uh, court petition here in January uh, to challenge the two rulings that were made by appeals courts towards Oracle's favor. So the Java uh, Google centered their case on whether copyright extends to a software interface like an API and whether the use of the Java API by Google fell within fair use as was found at the jury trials. So yeah, so let's pull this out just like, you know, this guy argued or was worried about is like they're using the APIs to figure, you know, to hook into windows for all this, you know, proton stuff and, you know, um, uh, wine and code weavers uses their own little bottle thing that uses wine. It's like, does that violate fair use and any other API? Let's say you have an API to your uh, like N1MM, right? They have an API to access, uh, you know, some of the mechanics so you can pick up logs and stuff like that. And, insert logs in there does that stuff become more proprietary and if you use it in your app to do something with a particular other application even like let's say wsjtx it has its own api does that constitute fair use is using the api in your own application i mean that's the whole point of apis right 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record here <laughs> like a- once again to say that software concepts should be outside of the scope of patents. I yeah. mean, I yeah, mean, and I think that's the whole argument. Yeah, and I think it's the argument from the beginning. The and this this stuff should not be patentable. It should not be in the courts dealing with patent encumbrance. I mean, this this stuff is is nothing to do with patentability. So. But we've gotten down into this deep well of everybody's trying to patent everything so they can make money on anything anyone else does with a technology that sort of resembles the thing they thought they made up, you know, 20 years ago. And, yeah, it's yeah. going to be ridiculous. And it's like, you know, because you're the first one to the patent office that can actually, uh, you know, fly under the radar enough of these guys that, and gals that uh, just uh, push papers across desks. <laughs> yeah. You know, listen, I can start milking uh milking companies and we start with small companies to build up your uh, you know court cases your court precedents and then you go after the big boys for the big money yeah absolutely patent trolling the, the concept of patent trolling should never have been something that we ever came to yeah. here we are we also have trump as president <laughs> Woo. <laughs> uh, so so regarding the um the uh call sign stuff yes oh okay? AAA yeah. to ALZ is the United States. Is that what you're asking? To AL? Well, it says to ALZ. Yeah, AL something Z. No, you're looking at. Uh, yeah. I think you're looking at the, the radio station. Uh, yeah, actually, I am. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So oh, they're the loans of three Cheryl letter call signs. Failed. You have to look at the amateur radio yeah. stuff. Google fail, Cheryl fail. Yeah, yeah no, it was a Cheryl fail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's not uh, linger too much on legal issues, especially where they relate to Oracle because evil. All right. So moving on, um, I put in the next story uh, or the end story for our open source topic. So, Bill, I'm just going to let you because Charles, I think, is frantically Googling for like the real answer. Yeah, yeah um, now, now I am. So, <laughs> okay. so uh, we'll let you handle this uh, second topic, too. Sure. Yeah, uh, this is not necessarily open source, but, you know, I, I figured I put it in here. But the Compute model uh, Module 3 Plus is now on sale from $25. Although not specifically open source, so many projects are using the Raspberry Pis these days. We could hardly let the news of this new Compute board pass us by. The, new, uh, the newest version of this flexible board for industrial applications offers over 10 times. Get that, 10 times. It's a, you know, it's a step factor there. Uh, uh, ARM performance, uh, twice the RAM capacity, and up to eight times the flash capacity of the original compute module. So the CM3 Plus is derived from the CM3 board, so you, you're familiar with that. Uh, but both, in, but but uh, but incorporates the improved thermal design Broadcom BCM 2837B0 application processor from Raspberry Pi 3B Plus. This means that the, with the exception of a small increase in Z height, uh, that's vertical height. Uh, the CM3 Plus is a drop-in replacement for the CM from an electrical and form factor perspective. Note that due to the power supply limitations, the maximum processor speed remains at 1.2 gigahertz compared to the 1.4 gigahertz for the Raspberry Pi 3 Plus. So, uh, yeah, check it out if you're uh, interested in those little slot-loading uh, um, uh, compute modules in your setup. So it's kind of neat. You can plug and play them into the I.O. board and uh, interchange them. And I see that they're offering them uh, as well with uh, the flash memory already in, in various sizes, which I guess uh, some people are interested in instead of having to buy the separate card or what have you. All right. Very good. I don't, I don't think that uh, 0.2 gigahertz is going to make a whole uh, big difference in performance, probably. But Okay, I found that. 
Probably not. Okay, you found it. We're found we're, it. <laughs> we're jumping back like six stories. Yeah, six to... stories ago. Yeah, but n- well, now I you know I was on. Now you initial. have the real answer. Okay, yes. let's, let's hear. It. Okay, so in the United States, it's A A A through A K A L zero through seven is Alaska, uh-huh. and A H six through seven is Hawaii. Hawaii, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that that so it stops at Hawaii and Alaska there. That yep. makes sense. And if you want to run through all the other countries represented by all the other A calls, you know, let us know. Yeah, but- no, 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 no. I was just looking at the United States. Okay. That was the discussion, correct? <laughs> it was. Yes, yes, it was. Okay. All right. Fantastic. So anyway, uh, cool thing on the CM3 plus board. Interesting. And uh, moving on, this last topic, I-, I said I put it in here, and I actually did put it in Etherpad, but it came from Cheryl. Cheryl's the one who uh, got this. So it's uh, an app vulnerability allowing arbitrary code execution. Ooh, this sounds bad. Uh, Max Justice. Yeah, good, <laughs> good like job a, there. Yeah, I know, there's a trailing Z. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Max, Max Justice Zed has discovered a vulnerability which allows an intruder to execute arbitrary code during an update or installation process as a network man in the middle to execute that malicious code. And this this was a really poorly worded in english website so i'm not sure where this site is actually out of but it it was kind of a thing like it was translated from chinglish into english and i translated that english into something i could actually read so (laughs) that's the reason why i sent it to you because i yeah i was baffled so if you go to this website and read the original article just be prepared that it's going to be like putting together an ikea bookshelf (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what so show up with like allen wrenches or something, <laughs> something yeah. uh anyway uh during the app process an admin level http connection is generated uh that parent process could then blindly append a new request through the currently established http connection and execute the code of the intruder without detecting the validity of the file uh the file hashes Debian and Ubuntu Linux distributions have released an update version of their apps to address this vulnerability and you will do those installations by disabling HTTP redirect while you're updating the app uh, package on those distributions. There is actually uh, some CLI direct references to how you would do that in the original article. They show you how to uh, update the package without using HTTP redirects, which can cause execution of the vulnerability. So if you want to make sure you keep uh, totally up to date with that and eliminate any vulnerabilities in your package updater scripts, then you will probably want to read through at least as best you can this article, uh, which came from Linux Nov, Nov, uh, something like that. Again, I don't know what country this, this is cited from, uh, but it definitely seemed like a relevant article. And I know that our distributions are based on Debian distros and we recommend them. And since apt is one of the utilities used for updating packages i thought this was definitely relevant to disseminate his information and i'm going to make sure that all my systems at least are updated against this as well so there you go yeah and don wanted to mention in the chat room that uh, there's a cluster board you can find over on linux gizmos that can plug in five five of these raspberry pi cm3 modules so if you want to have a little uh, cluster going check it out We'll include that link in the show notes. Does that include the networking hardware? Is that the idea? Does is the I didn't read it? Jeez, oh, well, I just I'm just <laughs> something at least maybe maybe Don, since he provided the information, can actually pass on to us the fact that is is the networking stack actually included in the board, or is that something that has to be done externally? 
And while we're waiting for that answer, we can move on to <laughs> Linux in the ham shack. All right. I want to see. If, uh, okay. Here you go. Okay. The five node Raspberry Pi three com carrier board provides a switched gigabit ethernet port to provide networking, networking availability to each of the modules. And there's also a DC jack for power. So you have to have an external switch. Is that what I'm getting? I think it has a switch built in. Okay. All right, good. So it actually contains the entire network infrastructure as well. That's nice. So it's a cluster, yeah. cluster on a board. That's cool. Uh, and it looks like 259 pre-orders. Hey, that's not bad. 259 for a five-node cluster, fully networked. Wow. That's pretty impressive, actually. <laughs> then you have to buy your pies, too, I guess. Well, yeah, but those are relatively inexpensive. So Yeah, 25 bones apiece. Yeah. <laughs> So you're looking at $359 for a fully integrated five-node cluster. Pretty good. Interesting. All right. So moving on from open source topics, we're going to talk about Linux in the ham shack, because that's kind of what we do here. So, Bill, P. John? P. John. Yeah, we got, we got lots of stuff in here sounds, this time. Sounds like a poor uh, topic when you get, yeah. when you get P. John. <laughs> I think we've mentioned P. John before, and... Uh, I'm just going to basically briefly go over. They have a, a new release, uh, 11.2 stable that uh, implements some new specifications. But PJON, if uh, if you don't remember what that is, is padded jittering operative network. Uh, it's an Arduino compatible multi master framework and implements. Oh, so I'm sorry, multi master multimedia network protocol. It proposes a new open standard. It is designed as a framework and implements a totally software defined network protocol stack. That can be easily cross-compiled on many MCUs and architectures like the AT Tiny, the AT Mega, ESP8266, ESP32, STM32, Teensy, Raspberry Pi, Linux, Windows x86, and Apple machines. It is a valid tool to quickly and comprehensively build a network of devices. Uh, visit the wiki and documentation to know more about the PJON protocol. And this new version implements and upgrades to the specifications, the PJON protocol specification 3.1 which uh, simplifies the model and more clearly specifies the encoding. The PJDL is up to version 3.0, which more clearly specifies as the medium across access method and the communication modes. And the TSDL is up to 2.1, which more clearly describes the medium access method and limits of the multi-master mode. And you can find all that uh, linked in, uh, in the show notes here over on GitHub. So can you do that story in English now? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually a Reddit story I think I saw, and then I was like just kind of digging into it a little bit. And I was like, man, I know we've talked about this before. I didn't have much information on it then either. So, uh, But it was actually linked into the amateur radio uh, area because obviously we like mess around with Raspberry Pis a lot, and it does uh, implement networking between devices. So... Uh, I'm, I'm assuming we could probably even pass this through RF if uh, if you wanted to at some point. Uh, but uh, I would take a look at it if you're interested in doing that kind of thing, making uh, little tiny devices and ICs talk to each other. Looks pretty cool. Yep, it's definitely interesting. The, the part of this that's kind of missing, though, since it's talking about a software-defined network protocol, is the hardware that the protocol would actually run on. So <clears throat> um, I, I think that part is actually sort of uh, obfuscated from this, and maybe that's why it's not making a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, I, I get that there are software network, you know, software routers and software network protocols and things like that, but they usually all involve hardware at some point. So I guess we're talking about maybe a clustered or a networked Arduino stack at some point that um, integrates this, but I think there's a piece missing. 
And maybe that's just me. Well, it looks like they have communication on, if you want to use like the pins, they have a software Bitbang, which is uh, used on pins one or two. And okay, so you're micros. actually using the hardware on the Arduino chip to yes. actually do the physical connections yes. and then doing the network between them using the P-John. Well, that's one of the options. You also have to do analog sampling on the pins. You have an Ethernet setup, obviously, or Wi-Fi. And uh, radio wire oversampling uh, using, again, pins one and two. Uh, through serial uh, using pins too. So, uh, yeah, a lot of different ways to uh, interface and network the devices. All right. Very good. Sounds interesting. I don't do a lot of work personally with Arduino, so this this doesn't, like, blow my hair back, but I'm sure people who are really into doing doing projects with the Arduino chip are probably like, Ooh. Yeah, I just went to... I just went to an electronics meetup uh, about two weeks ago, and uh, we took uh, each of us had an Arduino board, and uh, we built a laser transmitter and receiver to transmit across serial. So we created a serial connection between the light source and receptor of one board to talk to the light source and receptor of the other board, and uh, basically uh, did, did console via serial via light <laughs> with two little Arduino boards. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> Could you do it better than 19 kilobod? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We ended up having to raise the bod up. Uh, I think uh, a little bit higher to get a full string out because uh, you had, uh, you know, we weren't, we weren't doing anything special. We were just literally just going straight across uh, the serial typing and, and just shoving it out. And uh, I think we had to mess around with the bod rates in order to get a full string out of there. Oh, but it, it was definitely cool. an interesting project. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. So our next story is Pat is getting close to version 1.0. And Pat, as we know, is a WinLink client, Linux. Uh, it appears in the project as if they were going to run with a 0.70 release after their 0.61 release last year. But now they're aiming for a 1.0 super major release. Now the project is showing 60% complete to this goal. Is that a full release? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> You wrote the damn story. How do I know before it was? Uh, <laughs> I was just joking on the JSA call that or thing. They're saying it was a full release. <laughs> uh, uh, Don't you remember that from a few weeks ago? <laughs> I don't remember shit from yesterday. Ah, uh, okay. okay. Sabotage <laughs> me. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, story of my life. The project is showing 60% complete to this goal, and if you are interested in the client for the WinLink network, here's your reminder to check it out. The link, of course, to the project on the GitHub website will be on our website in the show notes, so check it out. So, ooh, SDR stuff. SDR stuff yeah. is sexy. Tell us about SDR. Well, I found this project also on Reddit because, hey, that's where I'm at. Uh, it's called Timestamp SDR, and uh, this, uh, I didn't write the author name. I normally do. I missed that. But anyway, uh, he said yeah, he just cobbled this together to fill a need of his own, and uh, it might be useful for some, for some of the people reading the article, so maybe for you guys that are listening. Uh, it's a bit rough, but functional. Basically, it takes a UDP output from uh, GQRX, ignores silences, saves transmissions, oh, ignores the silences, and saves transmissions to a time-stamped audio file, and then repeats the process. And you can configure the silence timeout, to determine when to finish the recording and move on to the next file, uh, resets if a new transmission comes in during the timeout, uh, minimum recording length to determine whether or not the recording should be kept uh, after the silence uh, timeout completes, uh, maximum number of files to save before exiting the program, 
and more features to come, maybe additional timestamp information options and option to keep silence in the recording. Note, I've only tested this with GQRX on Linux, and it should work on macOS or may work on Windows if you're running GQRX with uh, the Pothos SDR. Uh, he might be able to set this up uh, to work with other SDR receiver software that can stream output over UDP, but he hasn't looked into it. So uh, he's posted his project up there on uh, on GitHub, and that's linked in the show notes. And you can also find that in uh, Reddit if you're interested in playing around with uh, someone's cool little 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 project that they're doing uh, with an SDR. It is kind of a nice project. It's it's a simple thing, but it's nice to be able to take the output from an SDR receiver and actually segment it into useful chunks. That's kind of nice. And I, I like that it's kind of smart. So even if you have a timed window and it detects a transmission, it will actually just reset and do its own thing. So, hey, pretty cool. Yeah. And, of course, it's on it's on Reddit and GitHub, <laughs> like where all the cool stuff is, right? Yeah, which is basically where our next one has come from, too. That's <laughs> <laughs> where all the cool kids hang out. So. All right, let me see if I can read this one as if you didn't put it in here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this, of course, comes from Reddit, as if I'm ever on Reddit, which I'm not. Uh, user NS underscore Hello World wrote that he found that in a lot of his projects, he needs to make a simple bash script for repetitive tasks. And in all of those scripts, he likes to have command line arguments to avoid hard coding variable variables. Uh, and whenever he needs to make a new one of these simple scripts, he finds himself, excuse me, searching through his project directory to find the last example of one of those that he used. After a while, he just decided to make a script which will create a script automatically to parse the arguments based on his input, a bash script designed to create other bash scripts with basic argument parsing. Well, that's very meta. <laughs> so so did you actually dive into what he's actually doing with this? Yeah, no, it's it's really cool. I mean, you know, I, I, I run into things myself where I want to just create, you know, a script to run a series of things. And I, yeah, it's the same way. You're like, uh, how do I, uh, parse arguments and everything else? And this is like really cool because you could just run great bash script, uh, tac tac name and then put your little file name there and then do your tac tac arguments. And, and then you can also do short code. So let's say you had like a long word, like uh, in his example, he gives a, uh, what did he give here? I'm trying to find one. <coughs> uh, 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 let's see. So yeah, he has arguments like name, star country, postal code, population. Um, and if you put a star in front of the variable name, it will become a required argument, which is kind of cool. So you can go ahead and preset up required arguments when you're building your script out. And then you have the short arguments uh, command, which you can give short codes to each one of those. So if you had name, you could put N or county, you could have C. And then uh, anything else, it's... Uh, it's a it's a pretty cool little uh you know boilerplate to get your own script uh, up and going. If you don't like writing those things, uh, I highly recommend using a tool that can do it for you. <laughs> it's on GitHub, so you can check it out. You can use it. If not, uh, eh, you know, it's just something I, I ran across. I thought I could probably use that, and uh, maybe you could too. I probably could too. And as soon as I like dive into the code, it's one of those things that sounds like where you once you understand what it actually does that light bulb clicks on and you go, Oh, I can think of 35 things I can do with that right now. <laughs> but just, just hearing the description of it doesn't really give it or give for me the full, you know, impact of, of how cool it would be to have a script that creates scripts. But, <laughs> um, I'm sure it's a really cool thing and I will actually take a look into it. And if uh, anyone else wants to take a look into it, of course, the links to 
The Reddit article and the GitHub for this script creator script will be in the show notes. So now we're back to Cheryl, who's zoned out again. Shopping on AliExpress. Get, <laughs> get your mind out of China. Come back to here. <laughs> I, and we're going <laughs> to, we do need to wrap this up at some point. So you think? we'll do it with the social media roundup. And here right we go. Then. This week for Patreons, we have David Jaquay, Doug Redder, Stephen Harp, Andy Webster, Pete Caffrey, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, Donald Gover, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, and William Heckelman. For subscriptions, we have Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Steve Nichols, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Piotr, Darren King, Dylan Engel, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ike, Robert Yerke, Michael Conley, and Jeremy Hall. For Facebook, we have Bill Vodal, Richard Daly, Peter Pestai, I hope that was right, and Nick Rausch. For Twitter, we have at uh, Visuino, at GetSoft, at James Taji, at Levi H. Moore, and at VE2NGO. On Newto, Newto, wow, Newto. Where, what, ha, where did that come from? <laughs> on YouTube, that, that sounded vaguely Chinese. It, it didn't, it didn't. It? Yeah, I know. Sorry, whatever. <laughs> on YouTube, we have Boxen Lee, John Brown, Trumpet Guy Brewing, Edward Gomez, Tom Was, James Tahai or Taji, however it's pronounced, Joe Lovato, and DG Nikon. Nobody on the mailing list and nobody for merchandise sales. And Bill, I think you need to check out Trumpet Guy Brewing. Trumpet Guy Brewing. Yeah. Is it near Bill? I don't know. It, he followed us on YouTube, though. It seems like it's worth a look. I don't know where the hell Trumpet Guy Brewing would be. I'm looking. But so thanks to everybody who's a supporter of the show through subscriptions or through Patreon. We appreciate it. And anybody who followed us on social media and our various social media outlets, we appreciate that as well. So with that, I think we're going to wrap up this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. But before we do that, we should probably run through the chat room real quick and see who's in there. Uh, I know for a fact we have Don, KC9ZMY, and we have Ted, WA0EIR, and we also have Cubicle Nate. I did not see a whole lot of other activity in there for this current episode, but I did want to make mention of those folks who were connected either via IRC or Discord. Uh, while we sit here and produce our episodes live. So thanks to everybody who is involved with the show. If you have a comment or a suggestion on the show, please send it to us. The information for sending us a voicemail is in the outro. Do that. Send us an email, comment on an episode on the website, and uh, all that information is in the outro. And please, if you have a deep dive topic that you would love to hear us talk about, Get that info to us, and we will definitely make sure we put an episode together about that. And with that, we are going to wrap up episode number 268 of Linux in the Ham Shack. I am Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. 
You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out. in the ham shack and the linux in the ham shack logo are released under a creative commons attribute non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license